Okie dokie, we are live today. I'm joined by David Downing, who is the founder, co-founder rather, of Chipmunk Baking. And we are going to talk about consumer packaged goods, sports and e-commerce brands in that industry. So David, welcome. Give us an intro into who you are and what your story is to date. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, name is David Downing. I'm co-founder of Chipmunk Baking. Uh, started the company in early 2019 with my co-founder, Jose Hernandez. He and I actually were roommates at the time. We were both working in the world of startups. Um, I was working in venture capital. My background's more accounting, finance. His background is more in like health, uh, nutritional science, and sales. We kept talking about like wanting to start our own business. And uh, I guess the interesting thing with Jose is he he was diagnosed with type two diabetes early on uh, when he was in college, and had always managed that uh, with a diet. So instead of taking prescribed drugs. When he was diagnosed, he adopted a low carb, high fat diet, managed to get his blood sugar back to normal kind of non-diabetes levels. And we kind of took that idea and started doing some baking in our apartment. He ended up making these desserts that were diabetic friendly for him. They didn't spike his blood sugar so he could enjoy them, which was always a pain point that he had in his life. And when he gave them to me to try, it kind of like the light bulb went off for both of us. It was like, you know, in the United States, one in three people uh, are either pre-diabetic or have diabetes. Uh, yeah. I think anything you read in the news is all about trying to reduce sugar, uh, reduce processed carbs. But if we would walk to our local grocery store, most of the stuff on the shelf either is still packed full of sugar, processed carbs, or it's packed with like all this random kind of artificial ingredients that you know they either taste horrible or you don't really want them in your body anyways. Um, so we we set out to create kind of like an all natural low carb, no sugar cookie. And uh, that's what we made um, and have since kind of expanded it, started in local farmers markets, uh, moved on to our website and Amazon. And then this year we've been expanding more into kind of traditional retail, uh, you know, grocery stores, some meal prep places, even some hotels. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's me and our background. <laughs> so it's interesting because I think that healthy foods um, and snack markets as well it's just became massive and obviously it's, it's been a few years now but you can go to like the the gas station as you guys will call it petrol station for us and now you can pick up like protein bars and you know various healthy snacks and that just didn't exist in the past i'm guessing it's exactly the same in the states right like it's a big movement now yeah i mean it's definitely uh, i think like 15 years ago there wouldn't have been any option at all but i would say that the options are still pretty limited. Um, it's the market's kind of dominated by really big players like Quest Nutrition, yeah. uh, Lenny and Larry's Cookies, where mm -hmm. either they're they're like incredibly functional, like Quest I view as like, hey, that's a great way to get your protein, but it's probably not something you would crave as a dessert. You know, like at the end of at the end of dinner, you don't uh, warm up a Quest bar and like cut it up or whatever, eat it. Uh, and then like Lenny and Larry's, like again, that it's like a meal replacement. It's not really yeah, yeah delicious cookie and so we just saw this gap like hey there's no one that's just trying to make a great tasting cookie that's just better for you period uh, and I, I think there's a lot of room for opportunity there in the space of just coming out with stuff that tastes really good and and can start to be a one-to-one -one replacement for some of the traditional foods that people you know like oreos and chips ahoy doritos like all those things that everybody's eating every single day uh, I think we can start replacing that out over time so that our, our diets overall are just more balanced. 
Completely agree. And on the subject of ingredients, first questions just came in from Joe. So he says, when you say no sugar, uh, what base ingredient replacement do you use instead? Yeah, so uh, it took us a little while to find this because we wanted, you know, to use a natural sweetener, uh, but it had to have no impact on blood sugar, uh, ideally had very little to no calories. Uh, there's a lot of companies use sugar alcohols as a replacement, like erythritol, and that's actually where we started. Uh, but the problem with erythritol is it, it can upset your stomach at pretty low quantities, and we wanted to avoid that. Uh, and also a lot of these alternative sweeteners can have strange aftertastes. Uh, erythritol is known to have like a cooling effect. If you've had like stevia, for example, a lot of people will complain about kind of this metallic aftertaste in their mouth. Um, so we worked with a local food scientist in at the University of Houston here. He had like a baking background and we, we kind of explored what was available and we found out about this sweetener called allulose. Um, it's a rare natural sugar and that it actually occurs in nature in fruits in just really tiny quantities. Um, I almost think of it as like a, it's just like a natural mutation of fructose itself. The chemical structure is just slightly different um, so that it behaves like sugar when you bake it, it tastes like sugar, uh, but the human body, because the chemical structure is a little bit different, the human body cannot break it down into calories and it doesn't impact like your blood, blood sugar, insulin levels. Um, so that was kind of the perfect sweetener for us. We, we adopted it, uh, but the issue is it's only 75% as sweet as sugar. Um, so we ended up finding uh, monk fruit, monk fruit powder. It's this melon that grows in China. The inside is this antioxidant that's incredibly sweet, four to 500 times as sweet as sugar. You can actually dry it out, use it as a powder in baking or ice cream or whatever application you want. And so we took the blend of the two, the hyper sweet monk fruit, and then you know the, the sort of semi-sweet allulose blended it to this ratio where we thought was close as close as we could get to that one-to-one -one sugar replacement. So that's the base sweetener we use. We, we actually, we trademarked it. It's called Alumunk. Um, and uh, we actually sell it by the pound on our website because a lot of our customers like to use it to, you know, sweeten their coffee or you can use it in baking. I've made marshmallows with it. You can use it to make like caramel sauce uh, mm -hmm. because it is chemically so close to sugar. Almost any application for sugar you could use it for. Seems like um, Joe knows that ingredient well. Without like calling out any names, uh, do you think there's a lot of companies who are like jumping on the bandwagon of like healthy replacements? But actually, you mentioned like that a lot of research went into finding a legitimately healthy alternative. Mm -hmm. Is there some people who are just claiming to be healthy, but the ingredients are not necessarily good for you? Uh, again, without calling out any names, like a lot of these sort of meal replacement slash protein bars. I know because that's my background as well. They'll use like, um, is it maltodol in there and, and yeah. all sorts of uh, sweetness, which uh, make you run to the toilet very fast to say the least amongst <laughs> other things, I'm sure. Yeah, it, I guess it really just depends on kind of your own personal, like what you're looking for. Because I, I know like some sweeteners that are zero calorie, they can still have an impact on your blood sugar, right? So if you're a diabetic, that's really important. Um, and that's kind of why we avoided them. Uh, one thing I have noticed with a lot of kind of cleaner label, healthier foods is they still have a lot of sugar in them. Um, like a lot of traditional protein bars, mm -hmm. you think it's healthy because it says like big protein bar, but then you look and it's got like 20 grams of sugar in it. And so you might as well be eating like a Snickers bar at that point. Um, and so I, I guess like it, they, I, I don't know if it's really on them, but it has this portrayal of fitness and health. Like yeah. if you sat and ate those bars every day, like you, you're not going to be healthy, right? Um, so 
I, I think there is some confusion there. Uh, a lot of that comes down to like consumer education. It's, it's all about just reading the labels and mm -hmm. making sure that the ingredients and like the macronutrients line up with what you're trying to achieve as an individual. Um, but I think a problem out there is a lot of folks just like they don't have, they haven't been educated or haven't been able to research exactly what to look for. And so when marketing, uh, kind of portrays that halo of, of health or fitness, they might just lean into that and actually be doing themselves harm. So that's, that's definitely an issue. One thing we've tried to do with chipmunk is like, we put out a lot of content on our blog and on our YouTube channel or like Jose, it, it talks through kind of like, Hey, here's why we use the ingredients we do, or like, here's the, the types of foods you should be looking for when you're at the grocery store, uh, you know, to, to achieve kind of better health outcomes for yourself. Um, and we'll, we'll continue to kind of keep doing that to help people make better choices when they're, when they're at the grocery store or they're shopping online. Yeah, I love it. Actually, that brings us nicely onto the, the next topic, which I'm going to, to let Leah take over with for a couple of questions, put my ego on the side. So go ahead. Um, and to be honest, it was more the, um, it was more the scientific research about the sugar. I was just like, oh my God, this is so interesting. Um, but kind of leading on from what you were talking about, um, which marketing strategies do you think um, have helped the grow uh, helped grow the brand to date? Um, obviously, putting that free content out there, we do quite a lot of free content, mm -hmm. um, and it kind of it's it's not an onboarding, but it's like people start to really understand what you're talking about. But yeah, what kind of strategies have um, have helped you the most? Do you reckon? Yeah, um, I guess I'll, we'll kind of look at last year and then this year. I think last year, one of the, it was the single most impactful thing we we did is, is called like earn media, right? Um, so if you can get your brand highlighted on like a local news channel or in your local newspaper and they just talk about you and your story, um, typically that's going to lead to just a big boost of activity on your website, a lot of sales. What happened last year in May is Jose uh, had a piece written about his his story with diabetes and how it led to us starting a company um, in the lifestyle column of the Houston Chronicle, which is the largest uh, paper in the city. And you know, Houston's like the fourth largest city in the U.S., so it was it was a lot of people, yeah. and it cost us nothing. Um, it, it, literally, he just reached out to this editor and kind of pitched his story, and it, I guess it just kind of fit the needs of what they were looking for at the time. And in that one day, I think we sold more on our website than we we typically did in an entire month. Um, it was, <laughs> it was kind of a nightmare operationally. We were uh, at that time, we were still operating like out of our apartment. So, uh, we would, we'd go to this shared commercial kitchen, bake for like 10 hours a day, come home, pack for 10 hours, like kind of sleep a bit. And we did that for like three, four days straight. Um, but it was just really powerful. We haven't, it, it, unfortunately it's almost like trying to catch lightning in a bottle though. Like it, there's no real repeatable way to do that other than, I mean, you can continue to outreach, but it's, there's a lot of luck involved, right? Like just finding the, finding the right, um, publish publisher editor and hitting them at the right time. Um, but that is definitely something that like a very small company can do in a cost effective way. Like if you don't have a marketing budget and it's just you, the founder, and you've got some time, highly recommend, like that's a great place to start. Um, I would say coming into this year, you know, as our as our marketing tactics have evolved a little bit, and we've we've had to really think through like where uh, we can be most effective. I would say that like email and text message marketing is absolutely critical core to uh, I mean to the whole thing, um, and it a lot of that 
has, has come from uh, some of the stuff that you guys have put out, like the email marketing brand guides and um, I mean, that kind of that that framework, right? Because um, what I love about it is with both of those, both SMS and email, you can set up a lot of automation um, flows so that you're you're capitalizing on all the traffic that's coming to your website. Um, you're getting them into your system, you're learning about them, and then you can start to have a direct one-on-one -on -one conversation with them uh, to ideally turn them into customers or at least like uh, supporters of the brand. Um, and then you can use your actual campaigns themselves to either, again, like continue kind of this direct one-on-one -on -one conversation. So all of our emails, when we send them out, it's coming from the voice of Jose. Um, yeah. So Jose speaking to them and, and you know, we're asking for feedback. Uh, we're telling them not just like, hey, here's a sale, but it's it, like, here's what's happening at the company. Like, here's some interesting stuff or products we're working on. And uh, can you maybe like help us with what flavors you want to see? Things things like that. Um, and and yeah, that so those those two have been great. I think the the question that we landed on, though, is like, how do we continue to grow our lists? And yeah. the winning strategy that we've had so far this year is brand collaborations. So we will find other brands that we think have similar audiences to ours, mm -hmm. but maybe they're further along the path. Then maybe they're like a year or two older than us. Um, so they've got bigger audiences or they could be the same size, but maybe they're they're offering a product that's not, you know, not directly like a keto cookie, but it could be maybe like a keto coffee creamer um, or like a keto gummy or, or whatever, something that's just yeah. lower sugar, lower carb. And we'll do a like a joint giveaway with them. We'll create like a specific landing page uh, both of us will send an email campaign out to our respective audiences, you know, say, Hey, like you can win something from both of our brands and, uh, just go to this landing page sign up here. And we do that maybe like once or twice a month. And it consistently generates like 500 to a thousand new emails for our list. And, um, you know, that single handedly has been kind of the, the majority of like where we've been able to grow it. And they're all, these are all qualified kind of email things, yeah, yeah. right? Um, so that, that I would say is, is like the main, um, main kind of driver too. And I, I look at, I look at your, your content a lot too, and making sure that you're not just using your email and SMS to like milk money out of your customers, but, um, you know, trying to create a dialogue and also trying to give back value to them to make them feel special as like, we, we kind of view it as like this VIP club. Uh, where if you're on our email list or our, our text list, you're going to get early access to, we do a lot of like small batch flavors and things like that. You're going to be yeah. the first to know you're going to be, you might be the only ones who have, uh, the option to go buy those things or check them out. Well, usually if we're doing like a new product, like we just did a protein cookie, um, where we'll, we like deeply discounted the price because all we wanted was to get it in their hands to start gathering feedback. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so that's like a unique benefit. Like if you are a chipmunk VIP email person, you know, you got to know about that. No one else did. Um, and you know, things like swag to like this hats and shirts, like we, we have automated flows where it's like, if you, if you, um, order a certain amount of times or a certain amount of money, then we'll just automatically send you, send you free stuff with like a handwritten card and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's been the most successful kind of strategy we've used so far. I think you, you've had shared some great insights there um, that a lot of people overlook as well, because obviously, you know, we all want to accelerate things with paid ads and it works really well, but you've been very economical. So you said the earned media, I think that is massively underrated. We've had some of um, our clients recently advertising in newspapers, but I think like you said, you've really 
um, leverage the story behind the brand and use that to, to build a community as well. And the, the co-marketing is enough one, the, the bleeds over of lists, right? Like it, it's, it's basically an organic, like free traffic source if you're able to set up. Any, just to touch a little bit more on the co-marketing because some of the brands we've worked with, even though obviously it's not my area, they seem to be quite cumbersome and struggle to set this up. Do you just reach out directly to an owner on LinkedIn? Like what, what type of strategies has worked well for you to approach this? Uh, for like just cold outreach to press and media. I, I mean, I, yeah, I think you can try to find their emails. Um, you know, most news publications will list like their writers and their editors emails on their site. Um, so you can definitely go there. I would always say start local, you know, like the Chicago Tribune or whatever is not going to care about what the Houston company is going to do. So yeah. I, the very first place to start is like make a list of all your local like media establishments try to find direct contacts. Um, unfortunately, COVID kind of made this difficult, but you know, and one strategy too is to literally just go to their office and drop off samples. Like if you have a food company, that's the biggest thing to share, right? And then if you drop off the samples, they like it, then that's kind of that hook that gets them interested. Um, you know, in, in kind of the COVID world, you can always just offer to send samples and mail it to them. Um, but yeah, I'd, I think just direct, direct email. If you can find them on LinkedIn, that's great. Um, if you want, I like it, I think the thing we've always struggled with is it, it takes like, if you want to do it well, it takes a lot of work and yeah. I won't say we're, we're really good at it. We, I would just say we've been lucky. Um, cause like if I were, say if it were my full-time job to go do this, I would take it a step beyond and like find out whoever's writing the articles that you think would be, you know, covering your company and then start following and reading all those articles and then like talking to them about it and be like, Hey, you know, I read your article. I thought this was a really great point you made and, and try to build more of a relationship and a dialogue with that person so that when they do have a need for a story where your brand might fit, then, uh, you know, you're, you're already in their Rolodex or whatever, and they can, they can contact you. Um, another tool that, that brands can use to get some, I guess, uh, media coverage is it's called Haro H A R O help a reporter out. Uh, you might've heard of it, but basically you can subscribe and you say like, you know, I'm interested in these types of news requests. And it's just like this daily email yeah. that they'll just say like, Hey, this reporter is looking for someone to comment on the labor shortage, or this reporter is looking for a lineup of healthy snacks. And then, uh, then you can just directly respond to their requests. Uh, we had, we've had kind of limited success there, but it is a good way to at least get your, like a link to your website out into a few spaces. Um, I don't think you're going to get like a New York times hit or anything, but you know, it's, it's a start. <laughs> I think you, you gave tons of great advice there. In fact, we could probably, um, set up something else and talk just about those topics way more in depth. What's about brands collaborations to grow your list? Yeah. One more question on that, David, before we move on to the next one. Um, the, so the co-marketing are you just literally speaking to the owner and saying, you know, can we share an email? Like, you know, you promote my products, I promote yours. How does that work? Yeah. So, um, LinkedIn is an amazing tool for this. I think, uh, most founders and like CEOs of, of startups, like they're kind of in the same spot where we like, we don't know a lot of things and we're kind of desperate to learn from each other. Uh, and so I'll, I'll just like cold reach out to, uh, founders. I probably talk to maybe like two or three every week. And yeah. just like, I, I always say like, let's just have a call. Like, I'd love to learn more about your story, about your brand. 
30 minutes and then, you know, like, let's talk about maybe some pain points we're both having and, and I'll share my knowledge and resources and vice versa. And if there's like a good connection there and it makes sense, then the obvious follow up is like, hey, by the way, we've had a lot of success with doing these brand collaborations. Uh, here's here's our email marketing guy, like, you know, so hook him up with your marketing team and like, let's just get this on the calendar. And I, I think I don't think we've ever had anyone say no. Um, yeah. And then as you build like a pretty big email list too, you can lead in with some of those stats, right? It's like, hey, we have an email list of 13,000 people. Um, you know, this is going to help you a lot too. So it's, it's a win-win for both of us. Yeah, I love that. I think it's a great strategy, very under, under leveraged as well. Um, so we obviously we've covered the marketing strategy, but we just wanted to, just kind of wanted to know what, uh, what does your tech stack look like? What What is it that you're kind of using? Yeah. Um, so we run our website on Shopify. Uh, we actually originally ran it on Squarespace. So that was a, that was a mistake. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then so Shopify email marketing, we use Clavio, uh, which is amazing because it integrates with all that data from Shopify and you can set up all your flows based off of customer behavior. And then we use PostScript for SMS marketing for the for kind of the same reasons and that it just blends well with, uh, with Shopify's data. Uh, we use a mix of Shopify and ShipStation for our fulfillment. Um, so we actually pack all of our orders, ship them out in-house. Um, ShipStation is great if you have like a Walmart.com or Amazon seller's account because it, it can pull all those orders into one place. Yeah. And then uh, you can just do it all in one go instead of going through their the horrible uh, Amazon platform or Walmart platform. Um, for, I guess, like accounting, I, I do all our bookkeeping and stuff. We use QuickBooks Online. Uh, what's nice about that is it's just, it also has a lot of good integrations. So, uh, like I, I plug it in directly into like our Shopify and Amazon and Walmart, and it can pull through like transactional data, uh, so that I'm not like manually entering one sale at a time. Um, and that, yeah, so that's, that's been pretty good. And then I would say like uh, within Shopify itself, I guess one of the great things about it is there's this amazing app marketplace where pretty much anything you might want in an app it exists and there's probably like three or four options to do it so we have you know we have an app to help us collect customer reviews we have an app that does like a post uh, post checkout landing page to encourage uh customers to kind of reorder and add to their their uh, their cart uh we have like you know a subscription um a subscription app uh, so there, there's kind of a, just a lot of different things you can you can plug and play directly in your website to help uh, increase kind of the lifetime customer value or uh, improve the overall user experience on your website too. Yeah. Sorry to, to interrupt. In, in terms of um, like single purchases to subscriptions, are you trying to push the subscription model hard or what, what's like the balance of sales there? Yeah. I, I don't know like what the deal is with subscriptions like it's just we've never had much success there uh i i, I would add, i don't know maybe like one to two percent of our customers actually use it and i feel like most people who do use it they're just using it to get like that initial discount and then they move on um i i think it's it's better just to kind of stay engaged with your top customers and then they're gonna they're gonna kind of come order as long as they're aware of what you're doing and you come back to mind via email or text then that seems to work better than the subscriptions um i i could see like if we had if you had something that's a little more um 
I guess less about like your personal taste, like cookies, right? Like you have to be in the mood for cookies or a certain flavor and um, no one's going to want to eat six lemon cookies every single two weeks for the rest of their life. Like that doesn't make any sense, but you know, maybe if it were like dishwashing soap or, you know, something that is just like a commodity that you're going to, you know, you're going to use every month or even like supplements, right. That's probably would make that would probably be something I would subscribe to. Um, I think it makes more sense in, in those, those industries than ours. So we, we kind of set it up as an option. Um, but we've never, you know, we tried a couple email campaigns to promote it, but never really saw so much traction and, and didn't really feel the need to, to keep hammering yeah. on. Agreed. So yeah, did you have something else you wanted to ask before I rudely interrupted you? <laughs> I was just going to say, obviously, we, we kind of mentioned a little bit before um, about you having a VIP community. Is there any software that you want to use, like... Uh, loyalty or like that. We don't have like um, a loyalty program where you you know like you earn points or anything and and then get rewards. I, I would say that Clavio is is probably the closest tool we have uh, because we use that to set up a lot of automations based off of like it's it, we use it to help us like identify our very top customers and then kind of start separate flows engaging with them. Um, yeah. You know whether that's surveys or the t-shirts apparel giveaway stuff like that um but yeah we don't we don't really have uh like a loyalty program per se um it's it's more i guess that the main tool we use is is really it's small batch releases um yeah, yeah. and so every month we try to do like one or two special small batch so it could be like an entirely new flavor uh or sometimes it's even like a different form so we make cookies and cookie bites but uh, we've actually done like biscuits before, like savory biscuits. Uh, we did those protein cookies. Um, that's the benefit of being a, like us manufacturing ourselves is I, you know, like literally right next to me, I have a, a, a bakery. And so whatever you can make in a bakery, like we can make it and we can sell it. Um, and so we'll, we'll reach out uh, to our customers and, and we'll ask them like, hey, here's like four flavors we're thinking about, like which one would you like to see most? And then based off of that feedback, we'll actually make it. We'll make like 200, 300 pouches of it. And then, you know, say like, hey, this is the one that won. It's it's going live on Sunday. And, you know, it'll be sold out in like 24 hours. So go go get it. And then uh, we'll send it. And a lot of times we'll even send feedback afterwards um, because it, it helps serve as sort of like a long-term product pipeline for us to yeah. like development. Yeah. Um, like we, we know of the 20 small batch flavors or products we did over the year, we could tell you which ones are most popular based off of feedback and then also based off of sales data. And so coming into like 2022, some of them we've decided to make like full-time products in of themselves. So like pumpkin spice, um, you know, that was a really popular seasonal flavor we did last year. So this year we went ahead and just pre-planned it. We bought yeah. like really nice custom bags. Uh, we offered, you know, we, we launched it in the wholesale channel as well. So like you can find it on the grocery store shelves, um, coming into Christmas time, we're going to do the same with like a gingerbread flavor. And then, uh, like coming into next year, we have a couple other flavors lined up too. So that it's a, it's a real win-win because it's, it's great for driving sales, great for driving engagement. And like, we stay, we're like, we're, we're kind of staying true to the customer's voice. Like we're just making what they want versus trying to come up with it ourselves and maybe getting it right. Or maybe not. I, I think that's very smart and, you know, I'm a big advocate, as you probably know, of using email and SMS as well for like qualitative research and consumer feedback. But what I like about that is that you're de-risking the 
um, creation of new products as well, which I think, you know, especially in your space can be like a very costly exercise unless you have like a good market research behind it. Um, yeah. and, you, and you're doing it in a way that's like really intimate to the customer. So I, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, the um, the de-risking, it, it's interesting. Like this is, I guess, something I would recommend to a company that might try to recreate what we're doing is you need to start with like a really strong base recipe, right? Um, and then from there, you can just apply different flavors to it. But as long as like the base base ingredients, like for us, the base flour, it's always like almond or sunflower seed flour. The sweetener is always the same. Uh, most All the ratios are going to be the same. But usually all we're changing is like maybe a different flavoring we're adding or a different inclusion. So like a different type of nut or a different chocolate chip. Um, and so from a product development standpoint, it's like crazy easy for us to, to offer something new. Uh, we're not changing our supply chain. We're not having to invest in buying like a palette of an entirely different ingredient. And uh, so, yeah, I think like if you can start start your company where you just land on like a really flexible but great base recipe that gives you a ton of uh, a ton of kind of flexibility to offer like new and exciting things to your customers. The only key to that though is you have to manufacture your own product yourself. A contract yeah. manufacturer is just not going to be able to do volumes at uh, such, yeah. such a small amount. But if you're if you're just starting off and you're in a commercial kitchen that's shared, you know that's a great way to to kind of have a competitive advantage against your your bigger your bigger competitors too. I'm making notes. I'm ready to start my own consumer package good business after this. Yeah, go for it. So, talk, talking of foods, here's a man that knows his foods, Barry Carrigan. Um, <laughs> as it looks like he is daydreaming about Dublin. I'm going to Ireland <laughs> on Saturday, so that's what that's about. That's story. Um, Barry's a butcher, by the way, he's a previous client of mine. So yeah, he knows the game quite well. The the next two questions, actually, we, we've sort of covered already. So we were going to talk about, you know, your VIP community, um, how you expand your SKUs. Uh, I think we sort of covered them already, but just one more on the uh, VIP community. So when you're like releasing these limited edition runs, David, are you... Um, like what's your criteria to be a VIP? Do you have to subscribe to an SMS list? And how um, do you then like release it to these people? Is it just a case of like subscribe to SMS and you're on the VIP list? Or is it certain criteria like this person's ordered, you know, three times overall time and they've spent um, X amount of dollars? Yeah, um, I it's, it's not like super exclusive. I think we choose certain channels to have, uh, I guess, first dibs. You would say so for us our sms list just seem that's where we get like the most engagement and the most sales um i guess for numbers like our sms list is maybe like a quarter of the size of our email list but it generates more revenue from flows and uh campaigns so typically what we'll do is when we make the small batch flavor we always get like some really nice photos we'll try to do some like videos we'll kind of um build up a little suspense on our social media too and you know do like mystery videos or something like something's coming and then uh we have like the week kind of scheduled out so it's like sunday we'll send out uh, a text campaign to just sms subscribers telling them that it's available so they have the first divs tuesday is when we'll do like a kind of an email campaign and then probably uh, like Wednesday, Thursday, we'll do like a broader social media, you know, mention as well. 
And then Thursday we do like a retargeting campaign as well, just as like a final reminder if we have any left. So um, that's kind of how we structure it out. Like our SMS, they always get the first dibs. Um, if we if we have something that's like super small batch uh, or like we just want to talk to certain a certain subsect, we'll just split our list based off of like customer number of orders or dollar value. Um, like one thing we did recently is we actually I think we looked up like our top 50 customers of all time and actually called them and and like, you know, we had a survey to just to figure out um, a lot of it's just figuring out like why the heck people are buying your product in the first place. Right. Because uh, then if you can capture that essence, you can you can incorporate it into all your marketing and your packaging and then future product development. Um, so we, you know, we used uh, like kind of a Clavio email flow to identify those people, reach out to them, give them the option to do like an electronic survey and then uh, talk to them on the phone as well to either, you know, walk through the survey or, or get some more details. When you look at our packaging, um, everything on our, our packaging comes from those surveys, uh, from yeah. those conversations. So like the reason we put soft baked and chewy on our packaging is because we had a lot of customers say like, hey, like most keto cookies are like crunchy and falling apart. We love that yours are soft and chewy. And we're like, oh, dang, like mm. yeah, we need to make that front and center. Um, so really highly recommend <laughs> all, all uh, CPG food companies kind of do something similar. Um, there's a book called, I think it's uh, Dr. James Richardson, Ramping Your Brand. Um, and that's kind of the whole takeaway of the book is like you can't be successful as a like a specialty food company unless you understand the reason why people are buying your product in the first place. Otherwise, you're just kind of bumping around in the dark and you, you'll probably end up making a decision that doesn't align with the core reasons behind your, your consumers like demand. Um, and so you need to early on start those dialogues and figure that out. Yeah. And then once you figure it out, then you can actually like scale up your product. Right. Um, so that's that's what we kind of try to do. I don't. I don't know if we do a great job of it, but we we talk about that book a lot. <laughs> that's, that sounds like you are doing a good job of it. Um, and I think, yeah, the challenge is, isn't it, with probably for a lot of e-commerce companies is how do you maintain that intimate community as you scale and keep like touch with the customers when your operations expand? Yeah, it's, um, it's difficult. I, I guess like as we've grown in the wholesale front and, you know, like the, probably 40 to 50% of our revenue now comes from wholesale versus e-commerce where last year was hundred percent e-commerce. Yeah. Um, it kind of is shifting the way we look at like the purpose of those channels. Um, you know, last year e-commerce, that was how we made money, right? That that's where our revenue came from. And I, maybe in an ideal world, there's some profit every once in a while. Um, and then, but this, this, as we're moving forward, it's starting to seem clearer that like wholesale, is a really great place for you to make your money because the volumes are there. And then e-commerce is more of like a, for us, like a listening center um, where, you know, it's a way for us to have a direct relationship with our customers to fuel product development, to make sure our marketing messaging is on point, um, to, to make sure we're kind of aligning with what they want in a way that's not costing us thousands of dollars, like running, you know, surveys or hiring third party companies to go do research and figure this stuff out. Um, so like ideally your e-commerce e is generating some profit too. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I'm looking at is like five years down the road. I don't really think our e-commerce is going to scale up at the same rate that like wholesale is, but yeah. the value of it, um, from like the consumer perspective is, I mean, that's the only, that's the main touch point. Right. Um, and so that's how we're, we're kind of looking at it going forward. I love it. A couple of questions came in. 
Enas, nice to see you there. Uh, Romain, quite a technical one. Um, hi guys, how has Chipmunk adapted since the release of iOS 15? <laughs> I think this is uh, one a lot of people will struggle to respond to, but uh, feel free, David, if you want to take that on. Yeah, I'll just have a, I guess, caveat is like, I don't run our Facebook ad campaigns myself. Um, I, like, funnily enough, my brother, he's our digital marketing director at Chipmunk. He started um, about two years ago. Uh, he was a musician and COVID, uh, <laughs> you know, wiped out all, all live shows. And so I was like, hey, I need help on marketing. He knew nothing about it, but has self-taught everything. Um, a lot of the resources you guys put out to I, I always forward him on to him, like, make sure you're reading this. Uh, but yeah, so he's running that, he's learned a bunch. I would say, um, oh. whoops, I think he's just dropped out a minute. Give him a second to uh, come back in. I feel like we should play some parlor music for a minute. We need some. Um... <laughs> Let me see if I can remove David's and then bring them back in at the stream. Might I, be I think you should do dance. <laughs> dance. Yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> um, just give it a minute for, for David to come back on. Anything you want to talk about, Leah? Do you want to talk about email for a minute? Can we have an office dog? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> So whilst we wait for David to come back online, if anyone has any um, questions, feel free to drop them in. Just can go through a couple of comments now and ask, is this a live session? No, it's about um, David's um, story, how he started Chipmunk Baking, and obviously going in depth on some of his marketing strategies, hence why we are uh, discussing SMS, Romain. My, <laughs> yeah, you, you broke the stream with that question. Apple's been um, listening in. They don't really care about privacy. They didn't want anyone to discuss it. That's probably why it went down. Um, I think the the marketing things that um that David's definitely brought up are really really interesting though. Yeah, I, I want to know more about um the scientific facts behind the sugar. It's, it is an interesting one. The uh, I think you touched on some key points that people just completely overlook. For example, the uh, media. Yeah. yeah he's back on now. Sorry. Hey, you're oh, back. My, my laptop uh, plugged in uh, during the podcast. Uh, no no worries. We, we tried to wing it and keep the, the, the conversation going, but um, yeah, no worries. We can, we can just jump back in. I can't remember where we were at now. <laughs> uh, I think I was talking about the iOS change. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So we'll go back to that and just uh, round it out and then move on. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot to talk about other than, you know, we've been watching our Facebook ad spend really closely. Um, you know, we have certain like uh, CPA targets that we compare to our, our what we think is our lifetime customer value. Uh, we look at the gap between those two a lot, and then we look at our percent of ad spend as a total, uh, as uh, over total sales. And as long as we're kind of keeping it in that rate, in the right ratios, we keep things going. I will say in the slower time period, um, we've been cutting back a lot of our Facebook ad spend. Um, we're trying, we still use it to generate just like new traffic, um, but we're becoming more reliant, I would say, on that kind of the email SMS. 
marketing that we've we've talked about where it's like hey as soon as we get someone on the website like our main goal is to get them into those flows to start building a relationship with them start that dialogue get them excited about like new things um, whether that's a promotion or or you know like our small batch and then uh, and then just keep them as as repeat customers for the for the longer the longer period. Um, one thing I've talked to Michael, our digital marketing director, a lot. Oh no! I think we've lost him again. Collecting data oh, uh, on our customers via. <laughs> Do you guys hear me? Yes, yes. David, you, you sort of cut out a bit, but you're back. Yeah, carry on. Okay. Using, um, I forget what you guys call it, like zero party data on your, yeah. on your customers. Yeah. You know, if you have an email marketing list uh, of like 10,000 or something, or, or you have people coming in and they're trying, you know, they want to get a discount or, or something, you can collect that additional information from them along the way, you know, ask them a quick question about like why they're buying your product or, um, you know, even like their birthday or something. And then just using that information to better uh, kind of engage with them and, I know you've mentioned you can even use some of your email information to kind of refeed that back to Facebook to mm -hmm. to be better uh, to improve its targeting. So that's definitely a tactic I would I would highly recommend. Um, we've we've kind of struggled a little bit because there's there's sort of like this weird line, right? Like you don't want to ask a whole <laughs> like sometimes it feels like you're asking too many questions and it gets a little bit a little bit weird. Um, we were <laughs> we were joking about doing like a political themed one almost where uh, you know, like <laughs> in the U S like politics is just so, uh, it's just really bad. Like you're either on one side or the other and both sides hate each other. And it was like, Hey, like, what if we could find out what side our customers were on? And then you could, you could apply like a different tone, <laughs> you know, be like, yeah. oh, oh, like supply chain issues, like thanks Biden geez. Or like, oh, this is clearly <laughs> Trump's fault. And then depending on who you're talking to, you'd get a totally different reaction, but I don't know. That's it's too controversial for for uh, my team to to go with. I think. Yeah, you got to tread carefully on that one. I don't, I don't even talk about politics anymore. It's just got oh. another another question for another day. I think. Um, okay, let's go on to the next topic, which is. Um. So obviously you, you you're still in the startup phase, right? But like you, you've obviously done really well with this, like. You've mentioned you're going down the wholesale route. Um, what are the keys to scaling a consumer packaged goods business? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess. Uh, hold on one second. My little thing's messing up again. I think uh, you know, number one is like <laughs> you have to have a product that people want, um, and so early on do as much legwork as you can to make sure that there's actually like real demand for what you're doing. I think for us, so Jose and I, when we started, uh, we were baking out of our apartment. So we like, couldn't even sell online legally. Like you're not allowed to send food around unless it's made in a commercial kitchen. Mm -hmm. um, and so we went to farmer's markets for about a year, every weekend and just talked to people constantly. And I still have a little bit of post-traumatic stress from it because I'm kind of an introvert, but, um, you know, like really engage with people and, and, and learn about like why they like your product. And if they don't like your product, you know, uh, iterating early on to improve it. So the sweeteners that we talked about, right. Erythritol, the sugar alcohol was something we used to use, but based off a lot of the feedback on the cooling effect and the stomach issues, that's why we changed. And that, that one change, like really elevated our product to kind of this whole different taste profile that wasn't, 
wasn't on the market. Um, so I think that's absolutely key is like making sure you have a, just a killer product and that there's a the core group of people that are, are going to want to buy it. Um, I think other than that, uh, another main thing is make sure your kind of financials make sense, right? Like you can, anyone can make like the best tasting product in the world, but if it costs you a thousand dollars to make, you know, you're never going to be able to scale that up. So you yeah, need yeah. to make sure you think through like your packaging, labor, ingredient costs, um, and you know, mar marketing and that the, the unit economics makes sense so that as you sell more, ideally your kind of profit situation improves. Uh, versus, you know, if you have a really bad uh, gross margin on your product and you just keep selling more and more, you're just digging a bigger hole, um, which I mean, some companies, if you have a ton of financial backing, that could be a strategy because your end goal is yeah. to get acquired. Um, but if you're if you're like us and, you know, mostly bootstrapped early on or don't have a ton of access to capital, then you need to think through uh, th like get your margins right, get your pricing right. Um, and that's been actually a really big struggle right now because so much of the world has changed with regards to supply chain and the ingredients. Um, but I would I would recommend that. Um, and then, yeah, other than that, it's I think if you get those two things right, like you just just keep going, like just try to sell as much as you can. And then each step along the way, um, kind of learn from it from both a marketing and product perspective, like learn how to message what is unique about your product and how to communicate that and then just keep making the product better uh, as you can uh, that would be kind of my recommendation on, the, on like how to scale i guess it's just a strong foundation is is key um one other thing too is like if you're a small company you don't have a ton of money don't take any massive risks so uh i think like a lot of early cpg founders if you told them like oh like uh target wants to buy all your stuff or walmart wants to buy all your stuff they would look at that like if they knew nothing about the industry and be like wow like what an amazing opportunity um that would be a nightmare to me right now because i know like that's just the resources involved like you're putting everything into this one basket yeah. and like something goes wrong your company's done um so don't make any any decisions that could lead to a mistake big enough to sink your whole company early on um try to keep you know keep keep it small so like a good example for us is like our packaging at the beginning we just bought like blank bags and put stickers we like printed stickers out and then every time we changed the recipe or wanted to do a new flavor i just print out a new sticker instead of me buying fifteen thousand dollars of packaging that i can't change um, down the road so just kind of have that mindset is you're going to make a lot of mistakes um, so try to try to limit the financial impact of those mistakes early on as much as you can. I feel as though I've learned a lot actually just speaking to you over this last hour. I might call my own bit, um, consumer packaged goods business. Yeah, go for it. Cool. So final two questions. I'll let Leah take over from here. Um, I mean, I feel like you've, you've definitely kind of covered most of the things we are going to ask, but let's go into a bit more detail. Um, so what would you do differently if you had to start again? Yeah, I guess it, that kind of comes down to like what kind of company you want to be. I've thought about this a lot, like from a, like if I were to start an e-commerce company from scratch, um, I, there's definitely like different types of products that I, I think would be better. <laughs> like, uh, I joke around with our team. It's just like, if you could find something that weighs nothing and yeah. like it, it has like an incredibly high sales price, uh, you know, with like a big margin and then is, is being used frequently by like a consumer, 
um, then that just makes your life so much easier because uh, you can you can spend more on like customer acquisition and uh, you know when your margins are tight or if your product you like nightmare product for me if I were in the food space would be like a beverage or like ice cream and if I'm trying to do that on e-commerce it's just I don't know how you do it because you're going to be spending like twenty dollars to ship something or even more if it's got to be like a freeze dried or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. So like if if I started from scratch on like an e-commerce company, I would definitely like think about more of the I don't even know what you would call it, like the logistics involved, mm. and like specifically like what yeah, package yeah. am I putting in this? How much is it going to weigh? And like, how can I be the most efficient with that process um, to, to be successful? Um, I think the issue with that, though, is like a lot of those products, like people aren't dumb. They're going to research and they're going to find those yeah. products. And if they're easily commoditized, like if you can order it on Alibaba, everyone's going to do it. Right. And then eventually it's just a race to the bottom on the price. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so you, you you don't really have like any competitive moat to like protect yourself. Um, but yeah, other than that, like what I would do differently, uh, I don't think it's a it's, it's like a just not a fair question because you just don't know what you don't know going into it um you know like i i i would want to do the same where you just kind of you you need to have an open mind and just keep learning uh and going and going through like the the big loses and the mistakes because that's that's how you improve and get better um i don't i don't think like if someone just tells you like hey watch out for this or do this and this and that you might not actually listen because you didn't you didn't touch that hot stove right like you didn't burn yourself and and uh ingrain that that uh core like theory or idea into your mind so a lot of it i guess is just just get out there and do something uh and and make it that first step and then you know along the way just course course adjust absolutely if it's all about what you learn along the way and you can't take that experience uh, or you wouldn't want to take that experience away even if you did make mistakes as long as you don't go out of business of course <laughs> no i definitely think it's a rite of passage that when you start something like that you, you do kind of have to you have to kind of follow a few times to learn how to walk kind of thing and i mean adam's just hired me and I, i'm learning loads and he's learning loads with me as well <laughs> um, have you got any advice to new founders entering the e-commerce space? Um, I, I think I've like talked about this a lot, but it's it's really, um, I guess two things is like get started, like just do something and then start small. Um, so kind of take small steps so that if you trip on that step, you don't fall face flat and your company goes under, right? So like when we started Chipmunk, I think we we started with like five thousand dollars, and we ran on that for, you know that that first year basically, um, and we were we were going to the grocery store and just buying small amounts of ingredients and buying you know, a few hundred bags here and there, um, trying things out with you know like we we tried Facebook ads but we didn't spend ten thousand dollars right away. It was like oh let's just throw in a couple hundred bucks here and there to help us learn right, and then as you kind of pick up on winning strategies then just start to scale those up from there um but yeah that's 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 kind of it i i think um just getting started is probably the main thing too is a lot of people you know they dream about wanting to start their own company and they can I, this this happened to me like you just you can get spiral into like this this sort of depression right i was working for like a um fortune 500 company and making good money i could have just kept stayed there and retired but i felt just like empty and drained 
every day. Um, I didn't feel like I was making any kind of difference. And I always knew I wanted to build something myself, even if it was a total failure, at least like I didn't die not having given it a shot. Um, and it, it seems kind of overwhelming when you're just sitting there thinking about like all the things that can go wrong or, or like how complex it could ultimately become. But if you just break it down into like the simplest components, which at the end of the day, that just means how can you get your first sale? Um, then just, just go for it. I mean, for us, it was literally like, let's just bake some cookies at home, take them to all, like to the work office and try to sell them at the, the lunch desk. And, um, we did that and maybe we sold like $20 of cookies that first day, but it was, that was that first step. And immediately it's like, Hey, we have a customer now and we have some feedback now, and it gives us something to build on and kind of keep climbing up. Um, so yeah, just, you don't need to have a big bang start. You don't need to have a ton of money. Um, you don't even necessarily have to have a, like a great idea. It's just, you can just start small and, and adjust and learn. And, uh, as long as you're not making those big risks early on, you should be around, you know, to, to kind of keep it, keep it going. And look at you now. Hello? <laughs> I don't know about that. But yeah. Adam, when are we going to make our own? Um, I can't bake. I'm, I'm pretty good at cooking, but I can't bake. So I'll have to leave that to I you. Yeah. Jose and I had no baking experience. We had no food experience before any of this. So not a valid excuse. <laughs> yeah. vegan cookies. What? We could do vegan cookies. I know how much Adam loves um, the fact that I'm vegan. Yeah, I think uh, I think in Europe, there's actually like a really big market for it because um, we, we get emails all the time. It's like, hey, like when are your cookies going to be here? But we, you know, we got to <laughs> we got to get our footings here first. So, yeah, well, maybe we'll be in the food distribution space when the time comes. So you can give us a call. We'll, yeah. get we'll meet there. <laughs> Cool, David, um, thank you very much for your time. Honestly, you've shared like tons of great resources, learning as well for everybody. If anyone wants to contact you and find out more, what's the best way? Yeah, so uh, you can visit our website, chipmunkbaking.com. Check out, you know, product stories, all that. We're, we're on uh, YouTube as well. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. I try to post like a lot of behind the scenes stuff, like if we have new yesterday i think we had like a new packaging design like a lot of times i'll post that stuff and try to get feedback um you can just send me a direct message on linkedin and um you know if you're in the space or want to learn i'm always happy to to have a quick phone call and and kind of share what i know and hopefully learn something from you as well master networker i love um how you've shared so much today honestly and you go behind the scenes as well i'm going to check some of those videos out but Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. If anyone's got any further questions for David, um, I'll tag them on LinkedIn and feel free to drop them on the comments section here. But for today, we're all done. All right. Thanks, guys. Fabulous.